0: Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares.
1: It needs to become the habitual pattern of our lives that we regularly ask God what he thinks of us. It needs to be the prayer of our heart. God, what do you think? Are you pleased with how I'm handling my family? Are you pleased with how I'm dealing with my job? Are you pleased with the way I'm treating my children? Are you pleased with my relationships? Do you like the pattern of life that I'm leading?
0: It's estimated that we make an average of 35,000 choices per day. Everything from what to eat to where to live. Most of the time, we're not even aware of all the decisions. And we may even catch ourselves believing that we don't have a choice in many instances. Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Favares is challenging us to invite God into our decision-making processes and to ask for his opinion on the choices we've already made. We're picking up our lesson at 2 Samuel chapter 11, Verse 14.
1: In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. And he wrote in it, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fierce. Then withdraw and just, you know, happen to not tell Uriah and try and get him killed by the enemy. Make it look like an accident. Sticks it in the hand of his faithful messenger and Uriah carries his own death sentence back to the commander of the army. And this trustworthy servant is about to be killed secondhand by David. And not only that, as Joab carries out the command, there's no clean way to get rid of him. The Bible says that a number of the king's men died in that battle because of a purposeful lack of wisdom and intelligence in a battle and David had commanded Joab to put him next to the wall and then withdraw without telling these guys Uriah is killed and so is a bun- So are a bunch of other men and so there was not just one widow that was going to mourn the loss of their husband there were several in Israel who cried that night when the messenger ran in and said I'm sorry to inform you that these men have just died David has gone from deception to violating standards as it relates to alcohol to now he's having men killed in a battle and doing it strategically and purposefully what kind of things do we do to cover our sin it all starts with deception we act like it's not wrong and we act like we didn't do it and we try to cover it up and if it takes a lie to cover it up we'll we'll do it because it would be worse if people found out wouldn't it be worse if people found out be worse if people found out Here's my question for you. David is trying to cover this. It's obvious. The bulk of this chapter, from verse 5 to verse 27, he's trying to cover his sin. But my question for you is, who is he hiding it from? Isn't this the guy that wrote Psalm 139? Do you remember that psalm? He says, if I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I I try to cover myself in darkness and say that the darkness will will hide me, it's not going to hide me. The darkness is like like light to you, and I can't hide. There's nothing I can do that I can hide from. you. I just can't. But of course, when David and Bathsheba walked into the king's bedroom, I'm sure they closed the door behind them and carefully slipped the latch into the door jamb. I'm sure that David got up and took the shutters of the king's bedroom and closed them, of course, because you don't want to commit adultery and have people see it. Perhaps even they took the, the drapery on this giant bed in the king's palace and, and closed it up in case a servant might, might come in. or there might. So we want to keep this private. But this was the guy who had written with such clarity the reality that God sees everything. Who's he hiding this from? It's interesting that in the Psalms, as Solomon writes about the foolishness of adultery, he ends one of his long and very uh, compelling cases against adultery in chapter 5 with these words in verse 21 of Proverbs. He says, for a man's ways are in full view of Yahweh, and Yahweh examines all of his paths. Well, David's trying to cover this up, but uh, tell me, who had a front row seat? to this act of adultery? Who knew and saw every detail, looked into the the very bedroom of the king to watch what was happening? Who recorded every thought that took place in the mind of David as he walked around on the roof of the palace? Who was there noting carefully all of that? Of course, God was. So there's Really, unless we think he's, he's gone crazy or become incredibly forgetful, we know that in verses 5 all the way to the end of, of 27, almost to the end of 27, we know he's not trying to hide this from God. He's simply trying to hide this from people because he's greatly concerned about his reputation. What if people found out? Well, notice his great success. After the men are killed, David says, with another Speech dripping with hypocrisy, verse 25, he says, say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. I mean, the sword devours one as well as another. Just press the attack against the city and destroy it. W- would, you, would you say that kind of thing to Joab and just let him know that he shouldn't feel too bad about a few of these Israeli soldiers dying? I mean, it's a sad thing and all, but, but you know, that's what battle's about. Sometimes you'll lose a few men. Hypocrite covering your sin, trying to maintain your integrity. Verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of her mourning and after it was over, David had brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him that illegitimate child. Now, I know the conscience was still reeling, but in a sense, it had blown over. And David could throw his sandals up on, on his desk in the administrative office of the royal palace and say, I'm glad that's done. I mean, we've, we've kept this a, a controlled situation. And, and, and basically, the average guy on the street still thinks that I'm a pretty good king. And, you know, all the people around me and most of the, the soldiers, they, they think I'm so concerned and, and caring, and I've encouraged the troops. And, and I, I, I've still got a good reputation. I'm glad we've succeeded in maintaining that. Do you know that what drives us to stay in the state of hypocrisy is our great concern for our reputation? Not in the eyes of God. Of course, it's in the eyes of men because God sees every sin we've ever committed. So if we're not going to remain very long in this state of hypocrisy, put it this way if you're taking notes, number two, you and I need to care less. And for most of us, it's much less. We need to care less about our reputation. Because your precious reputation, let me just tell you, has very little to do with who you really are. You understand that, don't you? Because most of us here have a reputation that far exceeds the reality of who we really are. And when it comes down to it, I will stand before God one day, completely naked in the throne room of God, and He will assess my life according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it'll be one-on-one, and there'll be no jury trials, and they're not going to call any character witnesses in, and they're not going to say to you people at church, kind of, tell me, tell me what kind of guy was Pastor Mike? God will have none of that. He's going to look at my life, and one-on-one, he will make me give an account for everything I've done, just me and God, and then it'll be your turn. And you know what? Our precious reputations won't matter a bit. God is not gonna look for character references at the bema seat of Christ. So it doesn't matter what people think. Oh, I suppose there's some concern, and if we can, it would be good for people not to think less of us than we really are, but in reality, our reputation just doesn't really matter, does it? Because how accurate a reflection of reality is it? Rarely is it accurate. How much do you care about what people think? Are you striving to maintain in the eyes of your family, your friends, your church, your pastor, your leaders? Are you striving to maintain some reputation that doesn't exist and perhaps when you've sinned, it prolongs this period of hypocrisy because if I came clean, what would they think of me? You know what we should think of people that confess their sins? We should think they're honest and that ought to be a breath of fresh air amongst people that are all guilty of sin from time to time. As a matter of fact, our lives in this room, we are riddled with sin, and we bring in a resume of sin. And when someone admits their sin in the appropriate situation, and I'm not saying every sin needs to be publicly confessed, but I'm talking about sins not only confessed before God, but some in which I violated people need to be confessed for the sake of clearing up that relationship. My question is, if I admit and confess my sins to those who deserve a confession, what will they think of me? If I'm really concerned about my reputation, perhaps I'd be more concerned that they would see me as an honest person than a perfect person. David needed to fall before God on his knees and admit to the people that he had wronged, that he was a sinner. Not deceive them, not get them drunk, not kill them. He needed to admit it. He needed to have Uriah in the front room and say, I got your wife pregnant. I blew it. But instead, his concern over his reputation forced him to remain a hypocrite longer and longer and longer. One more thing I'd like to say before we wrap this chapter up, and it's found in verse 27. Chapter 11, verse 27. There's a contrastive conjunction that starts this last sentence of the chapter. And on that contrastive conjunction pivots the entire chapter. It may seem like a really bizarre and inequitable layout of Scripture verses. I mean, verse 5 through 27, it seems to get so much airtime, so many verses, so many sentences. I realize that, but there's really not much that needs to be said here at the bottom of verse 27. Because though David spends all this time in the balances of this passage showing how he's so concerned about his precious reputation and how he's trying to get the the weight of public opinion to go in his favor, right there in the middle, the fulcrum of this passage is this little word but. And it simply follows with these words that tilts the scales the other direction. And in reality, in the mind of the person that knows what God is all about, they know this is all that really matters. The text simply reads, The thing David had done displeased the Lord. And here was the weight. David had worked so hard to maintain in other people's minds that he was a good guy. He was concerned about what they think. But here it was God saying the divine commentary on this chapter of his life, I'm not happy with you. Everyone else, they seem to be fairly pleased with their king. Popularity's up. Polls are good. He's looking good. God says, I don't like it, and I don't like what you're doing. I'm displeased. And if Jesus were there, he'd give a scathing sermon about hypocrisy. Do you realize that David spent all that time trying to repair his reputation, protect his reputation, preserve his reputation, but in one small sentence is everything he really needed to know and everything that he desperately needed to come to grips with, and that was God's not happy with me. He doesn't like what I'm doing. The problem was he didn't inquire of God. He didn't spend time on his knees before God, saying, God, could you give me some insight on my life? He didn't say, God, are you pleased or displeased with my course of action here? He wasn't concerned with what God thinks. He was concerned with what people think. Third thing that's important for us to note, and it needs to become the practice of our lives. And I begin this simple point with the word regularly, and when I say regularly, I mean daily. when I say daily, I mean perhaps twice or three times a day. It needs to become the habitual pattern of our lives that we regularly ask God what he thinks of us. It needs to be the prayer of our heart. God, what do you think? Are you pleased with how I'm handling my family? Are you pleased with how I'm dealing with my job? Are you pleased with the way I'm treating my children? Are you pleased with my relationships? Do you like the pattern of life that I'm leading? God, what do you think? You know, God doesn't refuse that kind of prayer. If you regularly ask him what he thinks, he is so quick to want to tell you. It's just rarer that he finds someone that wants to know. Psalm 139, I kind of quoted it for you, but I'd like you to look at the last part of it. I told you that David in Psalm 139 is so clear in his thinking that God knows everything about him. He can't hide from him. Before there's a word on his lips, God knows it. He's so intimately acquainted with David that he knows every day in his life before they ever even started. He goes off on how God has has knit him together in his mother's womb. He has been someone that he cannot hide from God. He's been the object of God's attention. God's thoughts about David are, are infinite. And after confessing the great truth of God's omniscience in the life of his daily activities, David says in the bottom of this chapter, last two verses, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Question, do you think God hadn't already done that? I mean, after this great passage on how intimately acquainted God is with him, this is not an issue of God. I want you to search me because there's some things here about me you don't know. No, obviously God knows everything. The concern here is not, God, I'd like you to get some more more information on me. The concern of these last two verses is, God, I'd like you to give me some information about me. Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any offensive way in me. God, is there anything that you see that you don't like? Now, do you think if God would have been asked that question by David in 2 Samuel chapter 11, that God would have in some way been mysterious and not told him what he thought? you think he'll say that to you? Do you think God will be silent if you go before him today and you say, God, tell me, please tell me what you think of this thing in my life. Is it good or is it bad? God doesn't play games with us. He'd love to give his commentary on your life. And as long as we're in the book of Psalms, could you turn back to Psalm 32? I need to tell you that concern for our conscience, less concern for our reputation, and the most concern for God's thoughts on our lives. Yeah, all that's important, but it should lead us toward one simple yet profoundly difficult thing, and it's found right here in Psalm 32. We read verses 3 and 4 together, and we talked about how terrible it is to live in that interval of hypocrisy between committing sin and confessing sin. But man, if verse 5 doesn't highlight how good it is to confess sin, then there's no verse that does. Because look at what it says. David tells this testimony of confession, and he says, But then I acknowledged my sin. Oh, I was being blown away by your guilt, God. Your hand was heavy upon me, but I just acknowledged my sin. And I, I didn't cover up my iniquity. I let it out. I confessed it. I told people that needed to be told, and I told you I'm wrong. I've blown it. And I said, I love this, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And he uses his personal name, Yahweh. And it's so intimate here. I just want to tell you, God, I've blown it. I'll confess it. I'll agree with you. And then I love this. Look at the last phrase. And you forgave, I love this, the guilt of my sin. You can just forgive my sin in some file cabinet in heaven. It wasn't just that some ledger was straightened out. You forgave the guilt of my sin. What's God looking for in our lives? There it is. Acknowledgement, not covering up, confession. And when that happens, he says, I'd love to make it right. I'm not looking for penance. I'm not looking for payback. That's a foolish thought. You can't pay me back for the wrongs you've done. But you know what? I just want you to admit it. You admit it. We'll pick up the pieces and together we can walk into the future and try and work out your life in some good manner. But if you keep denying your sin, if you keep trying to pretend it didn't happen, if you keep asking me about how the, how the day's going and how the soccer team is, then we're never going to make any progress. We've got to talk about the board. You broke it. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to admit it or are you going to deny it? Are you going to come clean and be the loving well-pleasing child of God that confesses humbly his sin, or are you going to be the hypocrite that Jesus loved to rail against? You've got a choice. And right now, in this room, you can say, God, I want every single unconfessed sin to come to my mind. Tell me whether I please you in this area, that area, or that area, and give me a clear read because I just want to come clean. You talk to God that way, he'll point it out, and when he does, confess it, and when he hears that confession. He, re- he reaches into our lives and takes the guilt of our sin and says, great, I was just waiting for that. It's a good God we have. Let's talk to him. God, in this room, we represent a lot of sin. Foolish for me to think that every bit of it's been confessed because I know that we're stubborn people areas of our lives that are out of control, things we're not doing that we should, things we're doing that we shouldn't, and a lot of them we've been rationalizing and justifying and explaining away and arguing about, and in our hearts there's been great tension, but today, God, I pray we'd give up and surrender and agree with you that what we're doing is is wrong. God, it all starts there, and perhaps today our confession can end a day or two or a week or a month or even a year of hypocrisy, because we're tired of living in that interval between committing sin and confessing it. We want to get on, God. And God, when we confess our sin, we know that you are faithful to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and take, as Psalm 32 says, the guilt of our sin away. And God, when you do, then we know there's no reason to feel that feeling. Instead, there's only gratitude. There's only a sense of relief there's only a sense of gratefulness that you're such a forgiving and good god god we long for that that you might restore to us the joy of our salvation that we may sing songs again about what a wonderful god that you are and the only thing that stands between us and that is a sincere prayer of confession god i'm sure there's uh, adultery that's been unconfessed it's not ever been confessed or confronted. There's illegal behavior. There's marriages that are filled with sin, not just sexual sin and violations of covenants, but attitudes and words and actions and behaviors that are offensive to you, and you're waiting to hear from us about those things. God, help us to come clean and real repentance we know will bring a change in our behavior and we look forward to that if we've neglected your word if we've neglected regular time of prayer if we've neglected our duties as christians or sharing the gospel with others god if we sense that our sins have been sins of neglect then god we confess those start over with us god forgive us cleanse us and help us as the old time preachers used to say, to keep real short accounts with you. God, we don't want to go very long in this period of hypocrisy. Matter of fact, when we sin, we'd like to immediately confess it. Make us sensitive to our conscience, make us insensitive to our reputation, and make us most sensitive of your opinion of our lives and help us to seek it out daily. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. You're listening to Focal Point and a message called How to Avoid a Life of Hypocrisy from Pastor Mike Fabares. If you'd like the study notes or if you'd like to listen to the complete message without interruption, go to focalpointradio.org. You can also stream the program anytime by downloading the Focal Point mobile app. We're so glad to have you with us today and every day. Our goal here at Focal Point is to help people understand how God wants them to live and then equip them with a biblical foundation so they can stay strong in the face of temptation. Focal Point airs on more than 800 radio stations and outlets across the United States and is available worldwide through the internet and the Focal Point app. The program is freely available because broadcasting and production costs are funded by listeners. And if you're among those who support this program, I'd like to express our gratitude because your giving enables others to hear the truth and gain biblical understanding as a result. To say thank you for your support today, we'd like to send you a book that outlines God's plan of salvation in a clear and concise way. It's a classic resource called All of Grace by the renowned British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon. The free gift of grace expressed throughout Scripture gives us a warm and thankful heart for God's mercy and love. Salvation, after all, is available to all who seek it. We'll send you a copy of All of Grace as our way of saying thanks for your generosity today. To make a donation, call us at 888 320 You can also give online at focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focalpoint. Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for our weekly feature called Ask Pastor Mike. We'll be tackling a sensitive question. Is being a good person good enough to get into heaven? We're asking whether or not good people go to hell. Friday on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here.
1: God's word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org. And then be sure to join us again
0: tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.